Welcome to Making the Most of Time with me, Elliot Apple. I'm a financial planner and caregiver. To give you a little background, my dad was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer when I was 25. Our world was changed instantly, and it's been a constant state of change ever since. Since then, I've been learning about the intersection of money, health, and loss, personally and professionally. This is a place to explore money, loss, and grief. It's about making the most of time, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and financially. There are no taboo topics, no question is off limits. These conversations are for people like you, people who are about to lose a significant other, widows, caregivers, and anybody affected by a major health event. I'm glad you're here. So with that, let's start making the most of time. Today, we're going to talk about college planning, specifically 529 plans and what they are, how much you can contribute, and more. So listen in. College is expensive. The average public out-of-state tuition is $22,298 for the 2021-2022 school year. If tuition rates increase at a rate of 3% per year over the next 18 years, the average public out-of-state tuition could cost about $37,964. The total cost over four years would be a whopping $158,815. For most people, paying out of pocket isn't feasible which is why a 529 plan is an excellent way to start saving for college today. Whether you're a parent, grandparent, or other family member, setting up a 529 plan for a loved one could mean the difference between a lifetime of student loan payments and financial flexibility. Let's talk about how to save for college. I'm going to cover the following. What is a 529 plan? How much can you contribute to a 529 plan? How does a 529 plan impact financial aid eligibility? How to take withdrawals from a 529 plan? What if the child doesn't go to college? How to choose a 529 plan? And how to choose the investments in a 529 plan? So, what is a 529 plan? A 529 plan is a tax advantaged account used for saving, investing, and paying for qualified education expenses. They are legally known as qualified tuition plans. Many people think about them being used to pay for college, but they can also be used for K 12 tuition and student loan repayment. There are two types of 529 plans, prepaid tuition plans and education savings plans. Prepaid tuition plans allow people to purchase units or credits at colleges for future tuition. People choose these plans to lock in the cost of college today. By purchasing units, it doesn't matter how much tuition increases because you have already locked in the cost of college. Some plans are guaranteed by state governments, but others are not. If the plan sponsor has financial issues, you may lose some or all of the money in the plan. That's one risk to be aware of. I'm not going to be talking about prepaid tuition plans. Instead, I'm going to focus on education savings plans, which allow people to open investment accounts to save and invest for future qualified education expenses. They usually provide more flexibility in the ways that you can invest and use the money for college. So how much can you contribute to a 529 plan? Most plans allow you to contribute somewhere between $235,000 and $529,000. However, you need to be aware of gifting limits. I also know that most people aren't going to necessarily contribute this much, but it's good to be aware of the maximum limits, both on an absolute basis for the plan, but also with annual gift tax exclusion. And what I mean by that is the annual gift tax exclusion amount for 2022 is $16,000 per individual. This means that any person can give up to $16,000 per year to as many individuals as they want without needing to file a gift tax return. For example, if there are two married grandparents who have four grandchildren, they could give $32,000 to each grandchild, that's $16,000 per grandparent, 
for a total of up to $128,000. Please keep in mind that the $16,000 is total gifting for the year. If you give cash or other gifts throughout the year, you'll need to lower the contribution amount to stay within the gift tax exclusion amount. It's not the end of the world if you go above the gift tax exclusion amount. You'll just need to file a gift tax return using Form 709, but no taxes will likely be due. The amount above the gift tax exclusion amount will count against your lifetime estate tax exemption amount and reduce the amount you can pass estate tax-free at death. In 2022, the lifetime estate tax exemption amount is $12.06 million per person, though keep in mind that this may be reduced in the future. It's at a relatively uh, high amount right now compared to where it's been in the past. And then superfunding a 529 plan. Let's talk a little bit about that. Another method of contributing to a 529 plan is to superfund it. Superfunding is where you make a contribution equal to five years worth of the gift tax exclusion amount and average it over five years. For example, since the 2022 gift tax exclusion amount is $16,000, you could make an $80,000 lump sum contribution in 2022, that's the $16,000 times five years, file a gift tax return using Form 709, and check the box that allows you to split it over the next five years. In this scenario, you will only be able to make additional gifts to the beneficiary without needing to file another gift tax return if the annual gift tax exclusion increases. For example, if the annual gift tax exclusion increased to $17,000 in 2023, then you could give $1,000 more in 2023. If the annual gift ex tax exclusion amount does not increase, you would need to wait until the end of the five years to give additional money. Let's say that you wanted to give $50,000 instead of the full $80,000 you would still prorate it over five years and file a gift tax return. For example, you would file Form 709, check the box to allocate it over those five years, and allocate $10,000 per year. This would leave $6,000 per year for additional gifts. If a couple superfunds the 529 plan, two gift tax returns will need to be filed, one for each. Superfunding a 529 plan is particularly attractive for people who have large amounts of cash and are trying to jumpstart college savings for a family member. However, you need to be aware of state tax benefits. I'll discuss this a little bit later. But the gist is you may be giving up state tax deductions if you superfund a 529 plan because certain states may only offer a state tax deduction on contributions up to a certain level, in which case it may be better to spread the contributions out over a number of years if you wanted to maximize the deduction. How does a 529 plan impact financial aid eligibility? 529 plans have little impact on financial aid eligibility. If the 529 plan is owned by the parents of a dependent student, the 529 plan would be included as the parent's asset on the free application for federal student aid, better known as FAFSA. The parent's assets are one factor used to determine a child's expected family contribution, or EFC. However, those assets will only reduce aid by up to 5.64%. For example, if you save $20,000 in a parent-owned 529 plan, aid will only be reduced by up to $1,080. Contrast this to student-owned assets. Student-owned assets reduce aid by up to 20%. The same $20,000 in the student's name could reduce aid by up to $4,000 as opposed to $1,080. Grandparent-owned 529 plans are another strategic option, often used in coordination with a parent-owned 529 plan. If a grandparent or other relative owns a 529 plan, the 529 plan is not counted as an asset on the FAFSA, thereby not reducing aid. However, 529 plan withdrawals count as unearned income. Up to 50% of the unearned income can affect financial aid. For example, if you distributed $10,000 from a grandparent-owned 529 plan, that could reduce aid by up to $5,000.
Many people use parent-owned 529 plans early in college and save withdrawals from grandparent-owned 529 plans until the second semester of sophomore year or later, assuming the child's going to graduate in four years. By waiting until then, the withdrawals won't negatively affect aid because the FAFSA looks at tax returns from two years prior to determine aid eligibility. Starting for the 2024-2025 academic year, unearned income from grandparent-owned 529 plans should change and make grandparent-owned 529 plans even more attractive. The Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 changed certain rules around the FAFSA and financial aid eligibility, but the changes don't take effect for a couple years. In 2024-2025 academic year, grandparent-owned 529 plan distributions should not have any effect on financial aid eligibility, meaning distributions could be taken at any time, not just in those later years. However, please keep in mind that grandparent-owned 529 plans are still factored into the CSS profile, which is used by some private colleges to award financial aid. In summary, grandparent-owned or non-parent-owned 529 plans are attractive methods of saving for college that can have little impact on financial aid eligibility. Even parent-owned 529 plans have minimal impact on financial aid eligibility. How do you take withdrawals from a 529 plan? You did a great job saving and investing in a 529 plan. Now what? How do you take them out in a tax-efficient way? As long as withdrawals are for qualified education expenses, withdrawals are tax-free. That means you received years and potentially decades of tax-free growth, followed by tax-free distributions. So what is a qualified education expense? They include tuitions and fees, textbooks, supplies, equipment, and other expenses needed to attend school. The next question is, what expenses don't count? Insurance, transportation, medical expenses, they don't count. To take withdrawals in a tax-efficient way, you want to add up your qualified education expenses and take a withdrawal in the same year in which you paid for the qualified expenses. However, your qualified education expenses need to be reduced by Pell Grants, tax-free scholarships, tuition discounts, and other tax-free educational assistance. Then, they need to be reduced by the cost used to claim the American Opportunity Tax Credit or Lifetime Learning Credit. Once you have subtracted tax-free educational assistance and the two education tax credits for which you may be eligible, that is the amount you can withdraw tax-free. What if you distribute more than your qualified education expenses? The earnings portion of the distribution is taxed as ordinary income and subject to a 10% penalty. The principal portion, or the amount you contributed, is not subject to tax or penalty. For example, if you distributed $5,000 more than your qualified education expenses and $4,000 was principal, and $1,000 was earnings, only $1,000 would be subject to income tax and subject to a 10% tax penalty. If you are in the 22% tax bracket, your income tax taxes might increase by $220, and the penalty might be around $100. What if the child doesn't go to college? There are a few options if your child or grandchild decides not to go to college. You could leave the funds in the 529 plan. They may go later in life. You could use it for apprenticeships, K-12 education, or other trade schools. You could also change the beneficiary to another family member. Most plans allow you to change the beneficiary once per year. You could also distribute the funds, pay ordinary income tax on the earnings, and the 10% penalty as well. You could also change the beneficiary to you or your spouse and enroll in an educational program. The last option would be to pay off student loan debt. You can do up to $10,000 per person, and this is a lifetime limit. Many of these options have complicated rules that you don't want to run afoul of. So before deciding on an option, make sure you thoroughly research them and or talk with an expert. Now that you know more about the 529 plan, how do you choose one? 
After all, there are over 50 different 529 plans. Nearly every state has a 529 plan available. First thing that I would consider is the tax deduction for contributions to a state plan. Although you can use any state's 529 plan, I recommend you first determine if you receive a tax benefit for contributing to your own state plan. Interestingly, some states such as Arizona, Arkansas, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, and Pennsylvania even offer tax deductions for contributions to any state's 529 plan, not just their own state plan. If you do receive a deduction for contributing to your own state plan, I'd start by researching that plan. For example, I live in Wisconsin now, and they offer a dollar-for-dollar reduction in state taxable income up to $3,560 for contributions to the Wisconsin 529 College Savings Program in 2022. If someone was in the 5.3% marginal state income tax bracket, that's a tax savings of approximately $188.68. It's not a significant amount of money, which means I may be better off for going the tax deduction and contribute to another state plan if the fees or investment options are better in another state plan compared to the potential tax deduction I get for contributing to Wisconsin's plan. In Washington State, where I'm originally from, we don't have an income tax, so no state tax benefit was available for contributions. This meant when I lived there, I could focus solely on fees, investment options, and other features and didn't need to factor in any potential tax deductions. There are even some states with income taxes, such as California, that don't offer tax benefits for contributions to their state plan. Those residents can also focus on other factors to make their decision about which 529 plan to use. If you have determined your state does not offer a tax deduction, the tax deduction is not worth it, or you can contribute to another state plan and still receive a tax deduction, consider fees next. You would think fees would be similar across plans. You would be wrong. Very wrong. For example, there are brokers sold 529 plans with significant fees. Some include Class A shares with upfront charges as high as 5.75%. Direct sold plans are normally a better route. This is what I normally suggest to people looking for a 529 plan, but even among direct sold plans, the fees can vary. For example, my 529 plan, which is one 529 plan I like from Utah, has an administrative asset fee of between 0.110% and 0.140%, depending on the investment options chosen, plus the underlying fund expenses of 0.01% to 0.35%. The all-in fee is 0.12% to 0.49%, depending on what you choose. In contrast, the Arkansas 529 plan has an asset-based fee of 0.53%, which includes the investment services fee, state administration fee, and plan management fee. They also have a $20 non-resident account fee. If you're a resident, they waive that fee. Although 0.53% isn't necessarily a high fee, it's more than four times more expensive than my 529 plan's cheapest option. If you invested $10,000 as a non-resident into the Arkansas 529 plan, the cost after 10 years would be about $859, assuming a 5% annually compounded rate of return. If you invested the same $10,000 into my 529 plan through Utah, the cost after 10 years would be between $153.75 and $615.99, depending on the investment option selected and assuming a 5% annually compounded rate of return. Most of the static investment options, such as a total U.S. stock market or 60% stock, 40% bond balanced option, or the target date funds are less than $190 after 10 years compared to the $859 in the Arkansas plan. Fees make a huge difference over time and are a meaningful consideration when choosing a 529 plan. The next thing you'll want to consider are the investment options. Some plans have great age-based options that adjust to a more conservative allocation over time with low-cost funds. 
Others choose higher cost funds in their age-based options. Some plans allow you to custom pick an allocation. Others don't. Find a 529 plan that has the types of investment options that you want in a plan. There are other considerations such as minimum contributions, performance, and oversight from the state and investment manager, but I find the availability of a tax deduction, fees, and investment options are some of the more important considerations. You could also skip everything I said about everything here and just Google top 529 plans. Morningstar produces a great list. You could also use that as a starting point. Personally, I like Utah's 529 plan called My 529 Plan. It's what I personally use for a family member, but it's not a recommendation for you. You need to do the due diligence to decide what works best for you. Finally, how to choose the investments in a 529 plan. Once you've selected a plan, how do you choose them? There are three main options. One, age-based or a target date fund, often known as an enrollment date fund as well. Number two, static options. Or number three, customized options. An age-based or target date fund is the simplest approach. It's a decent option for those who want to sort of set it and forget it. These age-based portfolios automatically get more conservative as the beneficiary ages. For example, if the beneficiary is one year old, the plan may be mostly in stocks, and as they get older, the age-based option will sell stocks to buy bonds and other more conservative investments. By the time they reach age, age 18, most of the plan may be in conservative investments. Please be aware that not every age-based option adjusts the same. One age-based option that has someone enrolling in 20, the year 2040 may have 20% in stocks, while another 2040 enrollment fund may have 0% in stocks at age 18. Static options are also a good option if you want to have more control of the allocation. An example of a static option could be an 80% stock and 20% bond portfolio that maintains that allocation indefinitely. What's nice about static options is you get to choose when you want to go from 80% stocks to 60% stocks or any other allocation. You don't get to choose the underlying investment funds, but you get to control the overall allocation. The customized option is the option that provides you with the most control. With the customized options, you get to choose the underlying funds and the overall allocation. Although there is a limited number of investment funds to choose from, as opposed to any fund available in the investment universe that you could pick in a brokerage account, you can pick them in what proportion you want to own them. For most people, an age-based option is going to be the easiest and simplest option. But if you want to control the allocation or the funds, a static or customized option is often available. If you go the static or customized investment option route, don't forget to regularly review the allocation as your child ages. For most people, it should become more conservative the closer they get to using the funds or when they enroll in school. For example, there were plenty of people who chose non-age-based options, so they chose a customer static option. And when the financial crisis hit in 2009, they were positioned way too aggressively, and some saw account values drop more than 50%. It's not ideal to see the money you plan to use for college drop over 50% right as you need it. So make sure that you're continually coming back to the allocation and making sure it's appropriate for when you plan to use the funds. Final thoughts here and a question for you. Saving for college is no easy task. Not only is it expensive, but there are many 529 plan options from which to choose. Whether you decide to super fund a 529 plan or make regular contributions, it's important to understand how it may impact financial aid, develop a plan to take withdrawals tax-free in the future, and be aware of the options if your child or grandchild does not go to college. From there, you should, you should research which 529 plan may be best for you. You should consider the potential tax deductions, fees, and investment options. And then once you have a plan selected, you need to select an investment option. Age-based funds are great options for people who want to set it and forget it. Static or custom investment options allow for more control. 
Both of these have their advantages and disadvantages, though. And I'll leave you with one question back, Don. How will you save for college? Elliot Apple is an investment advisor representative of Kindness Financial Planning, LLC. However, in hosting this podcast, Elliot is not acting as an investment advisor representative individually or on behalf of Kindness Financial Planning. The information and opinions in this podcast are for general, informational, and educational purposes only and should not be considered investment, financial, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication, and such opinions are subject to change. No representation is made as to the completeness or accuracy of the information presented. Any past performance referenced is historical and no guarantee of future results. All indices referenced are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. All investments involve a certain level of risk. You should carefully consider if an investment is suitable for you before making an investment. Please consult your legal, financial, and other professionals to determine what may be appropriate for you.